0: Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your word, and as we think on these things, open our hearts and minds to hear you. Amen. I don't know about you, but as I get older, uh, and I have to admit these days that sometimes I do actually think that I might be getting older. Um, Anyway, as I get older, I take for granted what I think I know. And then someone, often quite young, asks me a simple question, and I then find out just how little I really do know. And so, to the subject of today's message, uh, grace Max Lucado, the author, writes, we talk as though we understand the term. The bank gives us a grace period. The seedy politician falls from grace. Musicians speak of a grace note. We may describe an actress as gracious, a a dancer as graceful. We use the word for hospitals baby girls, and archbishops, and pre prayers. We talk as though we know what grace means. It politely occupies a phrase in our hymns. It fits nicely on church signs. But do we really understand it? It's a churchy sort of word, part of our jargon. And it's certainly not well understood by the unchurched people in our world, a small word with huge implications for us as Christians. I often wonder if I really understand the totality of God's grace to me and how I should respond. Not only that, but today, moving through the acronyms for our theme for the year of SHARE, We consider reflecting grace. In some ways, all the things we've been talking about in this series are each just one element of this bigger thing of grace. And perhaps you too wonder about grace. So, what do we know about grace? Well, first, and to get it out of the way, um, it's amazing. We, We all know that. Are you going to join in? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. (laughs) Is that it? Is that it? As beautiful and enduring as Newton's words are, what do they really tell us about the specific nature of grace? Now that first verse tells us that grace is sweet, audible, saving, protecting, revealing, all of which is great, but what does it actually look like in practical terms? How might why we begin to understand grace? How might we recognize grace how should we respond to grace how can we reflect grace well i start with the dictionary definition of grace or caris uh, as it appears in new testament biblical greek it includes meanings such as goodwill loving kindness favor gratitude and bounty on this week's bookmark which you've all got i hope Uh, Matt suggests that grace means treating people with love, respect, and blessing even when you may think they don't deserve it. So then what's God's grace, divine grace? Is it just like a supercharged version of grace or something other? What I can find... Divine grace has the following elements. It does not work on a merit system based on effort and reward. It's not a one-time gift or event. It can't be bought. It flows in one direction from God to all humankind. Examples? One, the gift of life is a divine grace. Through the grace of God, the Creator, we are all called into being and infused with God's loving Spirit. Two, God's grace is ever-flowing, everlasting, and ever-present. A continual, unbroken invitation to participate in divine love unites us with God, empowering us to love each other and love God in the same way that God in Christ loves us. Three, God lavishly pours grace upon us because grace is God's gift of love and his covenant with us. Four, God's grace is available to all. It is boundless, boundaryless, borderless, unconstrained, unlimited by our human judgments and prejudices. Paul tells us in his letter to Titus, for the grace of God, the grace that saves, has shone upon all humankind. In Ephesians, Paul writes, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus forgives your sin and restores your relationship with God. So, You don't get grace. Grace gets you. From the divine grace of an amazing God flows love, mercy, and goodness. And once we experience God's grace, we can't undo that resonating awareness. We may feel... Gratitude, a release from shame, self condemnation, sense of belonging and of being in God's loving care. And such grace is transformative, expanding, empowering, emboldening us in our faith and in our own lives. So what's this about reflecting grace? In 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Living Bible says, we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works with us, we become more and more like Him. The J.B. Phillips, uh, in his translation, writes, but all of us who are Christians... Have no veils on our faces, but reflect like mirrors the glory of the Lord. We are transfigured by the Spirit of the Lord in ever-increasing splendor into his own image. Okay. Can you complete the following well-known phrase or saying, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? Do you trust everything you see in a mirror? Uh, I think we quickly learn to not necessarily believe all that we see reflected in a mirror. Mirrors always invert. um, And as we all know from our fairground experiences, they can distort. Uh, Mirrors only show part of the story. There are always things out of view. Mine at home have a time warp. There's always some old man looking back. Uh, To paraphrase uh, poor Simon, the songwriter, a man sees what he wants to see and disregards the rest. I think it would be more useful uh, to say that rather than reflect, potentially putting our own spin and our own biases and distortions on things, that... We're called, really, to re-radiate God's grace. When Moses was exposed to the full glory of God on Mount Sinai, his face glowed so brightly that he had to wear a veil to protect those around him from being overcome. Now, that is re-radiated grace. And remember, Isaiah 60, Arise and shine. Shine. Paul could not fathom Christ's sacrifice apart from a divine saving grace flowing out of God's love for all mankind. And that idea is central to our understanding of our faith today. Grace centers us and calms us because eventually we realize that When we embrace God's love we grow in love and our capacity to hold love and give love increases. God already sees us and knows us better than we know ourselves and God knows the the deep and hidden chambers of our hearts and the convoluted folds of our minds and thoughts but God's not looking for us to clean ourselves up before we respond it doesn't matter if you're new to church or still wondering whether you believe or have been a Christian for years whether we're aware or not God's always present loving us despite all our messes showering us with his blessings and grace out of an abundance of love for all humankind God demonstrated grace to us in the infant Jesus, the vulnerable child of God, who loved both God and humankind with all his heart and soul and strength and mind. Experiencing God's grace makes us conscious of our God-given purpose in our God-given life. To love as God loves us. Now, it takes dedication, mindfulness, and practice to live a life of faith. We may hesitate or falter. That's okay. Because we live in God's grace. And strengthened with the gift of faith, when we struggle with unfulfilled needs and personal insecurities, uncertain futures, we find comfort knowing God walks with us through these storms. In in addition, we can also see that Grace is essentially relational. Grace is given, and grace is received. And grace is passed on to others, defining how we interact with one another. So grace is relational. And to receive grace, we need to have empty hands to grasp it, to embrace it. We can't have our hands full of worldly things that we want to hang on to. Things like carefully nurtured hurts, or grief, or disappointment, or material possessions. Christ says that these are the things that we, our church, our community, and our world, need to leave behind. And more than that, the more we take hold of God, God's divine grace, the more we're able to radiate his grace to others. And each time we show grace to someone else, it changes us. Just as you have received the gracious favor of God, now let God use you to show his grace to others. Peter wrote, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So, grace can take many forms, depending on our gifts and talents and experience. Helping with a task or silently supporting others with patience or prayer. Risking speaking out in solidarity against injustices. In our interactions with people, each small good thing, companionship, a kindness, it's a form of two-way nourishment. Grace may be a casserole, a phone call, card to say you've been on my mind. And in many, many instances, such small good things maybe more de- needed and healing than we can imagine. Making space for people in our busy days, actively listening to their inner stories. However, I have a feeling that radiated grace could perhaps also involve some more difficult things. Living in humility. Micah Micah 6.8. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. How about extending forgiveness? Matthew 6.15 If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And it's in this way that we put God's grace on display for the world to see. How about encouraging others. Colossians, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Gracious words are life-giving. They're seasoned with truth and kindness, bring healing, gentle, build up. And worthless words inflict pain, are abusive, tear down and injure. And then, one of the ways that we can extend God's grace to others is simply by telling them what Jesus has done for us and how they can come to know him personally. And this will require us to abandon making judgments about people, instead honoring them as dearly loved children of God for whom Christ died. Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned of the dangers of what he called cheap grace. Bonhoeffer noted that in Nazi Germany, the Lutheran pastors preached grace from the pulpit on Sundays but kept quiet during the week whilst the Nazi government pursued racism and euthanasia and genocide. And he wrote, Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without the living and incarnate Jesus Christ. In his studies on grace, Max Lucardo also asks this deeper question Have we settled for wimpy grace? Grace that never causes trouble or demands a response. Have you been changed by grace, shaped by grace, strengthened by grace, emboldened by grace, softened by grace, snatched by the nape of your neck and shaken to your senses by grace? And he continues, God's grace has a drenching about it, a wildness about it. A white water riptide turn you upside downness about it. Grace comes after you. It rewires you from insecure to God secure, from regret riddled to better because of it, from afraid to die to ready to fly. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. At that moment that we accept Christ into our lives as Lord, we are all called to discipleship, to Christ likeness. And with that, there's a cost. I believe Christ-likeness is a call beyond mere empathy or compassion. It's a call to servant grace. Listen. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus. with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In Mark ten forty-five, we read, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In our quest for mature spirituality and, a, and an effective Christian life, we must never forget that one of the primary qualities which characterized the life of Jesus Christ was unselfish servanthood. Paul wrote to the Philippians, each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude towards one another that Christ Jesus had. There's no question that if we as Christians are going to grow and mature into Christ-like character, we must learn to give of ourselves in ministry to and for others. While we can and should find comfort and encouragement in Christ, when properly grasped, that comfort should propel us into being servants of the Saviour and one another. And there is a cost. J. Hampton Keithley, the American theologian, wrote, servant living stands directly opposed to the primary concerns we see today where the focus of our culture and society is more on our own personal happiness and comfort. We need to be ready to see the world through Christ's eyes, to meet people where they are, and love them as completely as Jesus loves us. God has enriched our lives with the grace he has freely given us. But ultimately, maybe grace is not about us. Grace is solely about what God has done and will do for us In us and through us. Paul says the grace of God, the grace that God shows us, means we're not lacking in any gift. We're fully equipped, fully prepared, and completely ready to share God's grace with others. Grace is pouring God's love on those who need it. Grace is the fuel that powers serving others we are all our witnesses to what God's grace has done and is doing we all can testify that we have been enriched by his grace in good times and bad God is abundant with his grace in the rain or the sunshine he's the one doing something in us by His grace in truly amazing ways. Each of us stands in need of God's grace, but each of us also has the opportunity to radiate God's grace to the people around us. And we can't show grace to others unless we understand the incredible grace God showed us on the cross. If we're going to radiate the light of Christ to others, we must be anchored to the cross. Our lives have to demonstrate an anchored focus on the cross. As the Spirit of God continues to transform you on the inside, you become more and more like Jesus, and you begin to radiate him to those around you. In Ephesians 2, we read, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Does your life radiate God's grace? Take this bookmark with you this week. Prayerfully consider the questions on the back about grace in your life. Try the challenge laid out there to pray each day for the person who causes you the most pain. The goal of the Christian life is not merely to get to heaven or to be saved, but to allow God's saving grace to do its work in us and through us. Loving, saving, infinite, transforming, merciful, boundless empowering grace grace is the power serving is the outcome amazing grace amen let's pray lord we thank you for your grace and mercy we are grateful for your constant love and guidance even in moments of trial and suffering We come to you knowing that you are a God of forgiveness and blessings. Open our hearts and minds to receive your grace with humility. Fill us with the courage and strength to embrace grace in all its forms. May we be grateful for your gift of grace and use it to serve and glorify you. Help us to forgive others and ourselves, to accept your blessing be guided by your wisdom. Give us the courage to accept your grace with open arms so that we can spread your love to the world. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.